The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Woo! It's like five people who were like, woo! Uh, if you're new to LifePoint, whether it be the, your first week or maybe the last couple weeks have been uh, newer for you, uh, I just want to tell you it's been different than normal around here. Uh, last week we had our baptism service, which is a huge celebration at LifePoint. We had one service, uh, which had over 200 people here. It was standing room only. We watched 14 people just come up and, and say their testimony, what God has done, and be baptized. And it was an amazing celebration. It was so cool to see. And then this week, as Bill said this morning, we have about a quarter of our uh, church body in Puebla, Mexico, which is a, a city in Mexico we partner with and work with the, the city and a church down there. Uh, and this is a yearly trip we take, so a good chunk of people are gone for that. And next week, it looks a little different as well. And it's an amazing week to come to. I highly encourage you, if you can, come next week. is what we call Playbook Sunday. So the group that goes to Playbook, they come back and they share what happens uh, while they were gone. And since we have so many people, both services will be different people uh, from the group. So the first, uh, about half of the group will speak first service and the other half will speak second service. So even come to both and you'll hear a different uh, stories of what happens. It's going to be sweet, but it's been a little bit different around here. Different than the normal summer series we've been going through. And the summer series we're at is called the story of everything. And what it is, is we believe that really every story in the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, points to something. It points to someone greater. It really points to Jesus. And, and this summer, we've looked at how Adam in the garden and Joseph and, and the Israelites being come, delivered out of slavery, out of Egypt, really points to someone greater, something greater, and that person is Jesus. And today, we're going to continue on in that series Maybe some of you thinking, well, who is this person up here talking? Like, where is the really tall, skinny, loud guy who's normally here? <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not him. But let me tell you a little bit about myself so you know who I am. Uh, my name is Ben Schulte. I'm the youth pastor here at LifePoint. Yep. Uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Woo, it's great. <laughs> love it. I'm the youth pastor, and a couple weeks ago, me and my wife uh, posted on Facebook, announced it to the world that we're expecting a baby come January. Hey. And it's, uh, yeah, so excited. It's our, it's our first kid, uh, and hear me out. Again, get to know me. Uh, most of my life, babies are not something to excite me, right? I've never changed a diaper. Holding a baby sounds like holding a sack of potatoes. I don't know what to do, but if I drop it, it's, it's a lot more uh, harmful than potatoes, right? <laughs> I, I love toddlers where they can talk and they can walk and run, we can run around and play all day. But a baby, I just don't know what to do with. And I'm, my, my wife loves babies, right? She was in the nursery first service this morning. She, she, when she sees the baby, she just melts and wants to go up and hold it. And me, I'm like, that's great. I gave it like two years, and I'll want to come around and play with it. But this last year, God has really been stirring in my heart, preparing me for my own child to come. Even before we knew we were pregnant, uh, God was stirring my heart towards our own child. 
And now uh, I'm a youth pastor, but I also work as a, a substitute teacher in the Zoom Alton Howe district, and I also work at Sears. Uh, when I'm out in public and I see people walking, maybe a dad with their little girl uh, or a little baby walking around with a mom or a dad, and I, my heart just melts because I know that's coming for me, right? I almost feel like it's a, a creeper when I'm watching this dad and this three-year-old girl walk by. I'm like, man, I'm not trying to be overly too much, but I know my heart is just like, that's going to be me, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. A couple weeks ago, uh, we went for our first ultrasound. And uh, many of you guys who have kids can think back to your first, first ultrasound. The crazy experience. We have a picture of uh, the ultrasound. I'm going to pull it on the screen. And man, the excitement. We walked in and, and we're going through the process, and there's this TV, and so it's just kind of gray, like staticky, like you see in an old time TV. Uh, and all of a sudden, we're moving around, and all of a sudden, bam, there's a little, little gray blob in there. And the gray blob, it's, it's fluttering in the middle. There's a heartbeat. And if you look close, you can see little nubs. Like for me and Megan, there's, there's, a, there's a child coming. And for other people in the room, there's, there's great-grandchildren coming, right? There's excitement. But ultimately, this photo, the photo of the little gray blob, this amazing little gray blob, the photo ultimately is not the real thing, but it points to something greater coming later. Uh, it, it points to something that, that, that's going to be greater coming later. This photo doesn't represent, it isn't the baby, but, but it, it represents something greater coming later that in January gets to hold the baby. And, and you can see, and, and as it goes on, you can have the 40 ultrasounds where you can like see the baby in like a 3D model, which is super cool. You can see features and what it may look like. And if it has, you know, my nose or my wife's nose and little features of what it may look like. But it just points to something coming later. And the fact that one day we will have this baby. And this is what we see in Hebrews 10. And this is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible, if you have something to look at, maybe your phone or or a device, if there's Bibles in the back, it's yours you can grab. We're going to be in Hebrews 10. And what Paul points out is that there is something greater In the Old Testament, there was this uh, sacrificial system set up, the the tabernacle, how atonement works, which atonement means being made right before God. And what Paul says in the Old Testament is it's not the finished product, but it points to something greater that's coming later. And, And look with me in Hebrews 10, verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, right? It's just pointing to something coming. It's a shadow pointing to the good things to come. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. All right. To understand what he's saying here, we really have to understand what was the Old Testament system set up. Essentially, what would happen is is God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, right? This is morality 101 for humans, right? This is the basics of what it means to to be a good person, what it is to do right. right? And even if you don't go to church, you've probably heard them before, like, do not lie, do not murder, right? That's pretty agreeable. Be a good human being, don't murder somebody. Not covet, don't steal, right? These things that are really simple rules for all humanity, 
Nothing super complex or overly difficult about them. And what's interesting is, is with these, you'll be hard-pressed. You'll, you'll have a hard time finding someone who says, you know what? I truly believe you should lie all the time. Like, don't worry about the truth. Just lie all the time. It's for your benefit. It's good. Like, it won't cause any harm. Lying's good. Do it. If you do find someone who says that, don't trust them, right? Don't trust them. Or it'd be hard to find someone who says, you know what? I think you should steal everything, right? Finders, keepers, uh, although it might be theirs, uh, I'm going to take it. It's mine now, right? That's good. If you do find someone like that, don't invite them over to your house. Or, or someone who says, you know what would be the best thing for my marriage? You know, instead of pouring uh, this effort and time uh, and emotionally into my wife, I just want my neighbor's wife. They seem to have something going, I kind of just want my neighbor's wife. That's not healthy, right? You know, this is basic morality that we can agree to, but we all fall short. Even though it's not complex, it's impossible for us to follow it perfectly. So we fail at the basic level of morality. We just don't pass the test. And so God goes, okay, uh, I'm going to institute the tabernacle system because I cannot let sin go unpunished. I can't let sin go unpunished because I'm just. So the shedding of, uh, so, so I'm going to institute the tabernacle, the sacrificial system. And what we see in Romans 6.23, it says, the penalty of sin is death, right? Where, where there is sin, the penalty for that is death. And God, being just, cannot let this death-deserving sin go unpunished. That's why he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins in Hebrews 9.22. So right before this, he's saying, uh, if there's no bloodshed, there's no death, then there's no forgiveness of sins. So God, being great in his mercy, set up this tabernacle system and said, I'm going to make a way where it's not your blood, it's not your life on the line for your sin, but something's going to take your place. There still is going to be death. There still is going to be bloodshed, but it's not going to be yours, even though you deserve it. So what this tabernacle system was, is a person would come to the tabernacle where the priest was and said, you know, priest, uh, I, I've, I've sinned here, here, and here. I, I've done these things. And the, and the uh, priest would roll open the scroll and say, yeah, according to that, you, you messed up, right? You, you sinned, Okay. Uh, so don't do that anymore, right? We've all heard that message, right? I messed up. Okay, well, just stop doing that. So, you know, don't do it again. It's so simple, yet we can never do that either. We fall short to that. But the priest says, okay, you've sinned. The punishment of sin is death. Without the bloodshed, uh, shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So uh, what's going to happen is uh, for this sin, I, I need two doves. I need these animals, and the animals have to be uh, perfect and, and spotless and without defect. I need two doves, or, or this sin, I need a bull. I need, I need two goats, right? Go get those things and bring it back. What happens is the person would bring back the animals that was deemed for the sins, and the priest would take it to the altar, and he would sacrifice it, and the blood would run down the altar. And this was atonement, being made right before God. I have sinned, but because of the shedding of blood, I am now made clean. God would accept these uh, animals 
in behalf of the man. And this was the system they were stuck in, right? When we look at Hebrews 10.1, the following verses, we realize it didn't work. That, that it didn't work. It wasn't supposed to be set up like this for, for all time. And what happened was, and now pay attention because some of you people, some of us are still stuck in this today. What happened was the people got stuck in religion that did not set them free from the shame and the guilt and the sin in their hearts. So they got stuck in following a behavior, but was never truly set free. They were kind of doomed to this week after week after week, year after year after year, doing the same religious things that brought about the same dead-end results. They'd make these sacrifices and then they'd leave, and on the way home, uh, they, would, they would kind of tell a lie, or they would uh, have a lustful thought, and like, dang it, I've sinned again. I need to go back and, and pay the punishment for that. Do you feel like that today? Doing the same religious things over and over, trying to please God. You feel stuck. The same week after week after week, year after year after year thing. Now look back with me at Hebrews 10 and continue on. Now that we know what the, what the old uh, system looked like, it says, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, right? It points to something greater. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins, right? If it worked once and for all, if I would sin and make this a sacrifice once and for all, if it would have worked, I wouldn't have left and then have to come back and sacrifice again. But it says it would work, and then you have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Look at verse 3. It says, but in these sacrifice, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What it was, why it was set up like it, it was a reminder for the people that they have fallen short, that they aren't holy. It was a physical reminder to say, uh, it's, it's one thing to confess your sin, but to see the price, see the penalty that had to be paid. Right? It's one thing to say, yes, I've sinned, Okay, don't do that again. But it's another thing to say, okay, sin, you need to come sacrifice your animals. You need to let go of them, and you need to actually see the death that you deserve and the blood pouring out in the altar. This is a bloody mess. You see that. You understand. It's a reminder that we failed morality 101. And he says it's impossible. It didn't work because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is why they had to repeatedly do this. And it continues on verse 5, why it doesn't work. It says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and he's talking to the God the Father, he says, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And look down at verse 8. It says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. They're saying it, it doesn't work because God doesn't delight. He doesn't take pleasure in your sins or in your sacrifices and offerings. 
he, he doesn't take pleasure in them. And hear me, many of you still today are trying to make the sacrifices and offerings to please God. You think, if I, if I do this, if I sacrifice my time, if I go give a little bit more, if I help this person, if I join this ministry, maybe God will be pleased with me. Still trying to please God with your sacrifices. And it says, your sacrifices I don't delight in. I don't, I don't take pleasure in. Well, then why would he tell us to do it if he didn't, delight if he didn't take pleasure why would he say do this again it's to show you something it's to remind you that you've fallen short that on your own you don't measure up that you really can't clean yourself up and, and god uh, be pleased with that because he is holy and we have sinned he said it's a very messy process. What he's talking about here, these sacrifices, is, uh, is the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which is in the Israelite uh, calendar, is once a year where all the families would come to the tabernacle. 75,000 families would come to the tabernacle, and they would confess their sins for the entire year. So this is what I've done this entire year. The priest would say, I need a bull. I need two doves, I need an ox, I need a goat, I need a sheep, whatever it is. Uh, and they would bring that back and there would be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, offering after offering after offering, blood poured out constantly on the altar. It's a yearly reminder they've sinned and there's bloodshed that is the penalty for sin. And, and although uh, it's not your bloodshed that it should be, but, but God has made a way that he takes the offering of the bull or the goat in your place. It's a substitute. Every year it's a reminder that you are broken. But the good news is it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. It says, Then he added, Behold, this is Jesus, I have come to do your will, the will of the Father. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. The greater thing that I was pointing to, he's coming to establish this. It says, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. It says, by, by the offering of Jesus' body, we have been sanctified once and for all. Really, holy can only please holy. God is holy, so the only thing that really can please him as an offering is something else that is holy. But we fall short. Only someone who was holy, without blemish, who is perfect, can be an acceptable sacrifice. So Jesus comes, lives the life we can never live, so he can be the sacrifice we needed. Hear me. Jesus is the greater atonement. Instead of the priest saying, you need a sheep to pay for your sin, Jesus came as a sheep, as a lamb, to sacrifice himself, to take our place. He went to the cross and died the death we deserve and took the wrath stored up by God for sin so that we can walk in freedom. And what's hard is we hear this over and over. This We hear that Jesus went to the cross, that he paid it all, right? It's done once and forever. There's grace for us. But we live in a society of performance. We live in a society where if I perform well for my parents, they'll be pleased for me. 
He'll be pleased with me. If I, if I do well for my boss, if I meet his standards, if I perform well for him, I'll succeed. He'll promote me. If I please my coaches, if I perform well, maybe they'll like me more. And we take the society mindset and put it to God. Well, well, maybe if I perform well, God will be pleased with me. The law is a reminder that we have fallen short, so we know we've messed up. So maybe if I do these things, God will be pleased with me. And some of you are trying to please God with your offerings, your performances. If I read enough, if I pray enough, if I help enough people, if I do enough good, if I make up for why I fall short, God will be pleased. And honestly, that's exhausting. You're stuck in the same old system that they were in, repeatedly, week after week after week, year after year after year, trying to make up through these sacrifices and offerings to please God. Is that not exhausting? Look at me, or look with me, in verse 11. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, but can never take away sin. Right? When you're at work and you don't get a chance to sit, when you're standing day after day after day, it's because there's work to be done. Uh, unless you're taking a break or not working, you don't get to sit. And when it says the priests are standing daily at their service, offering repeatedly their sacrifices, they're offering repeatedly for the people. And these sacrifices ultimately can never take away sin. And some of you, that, that's some of you. You're standing daily trying to please the Lord with your sacrifices, saying, if I can do enough things, God will be pleased. But look with me in the next verse. It says, but. Right, right, here's the system. You hear how it's not working? But the Bible says, but. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? What did he do? He sat down. He sat down. The priests were standing daily. They never got a break. They're offering sacrifices continually, and ultimately it didn't work. But Christ came. He offered one sacrifice once and for all, and he sat down. He said, there's, there's no more need. I'm done. It's done. No more sacrifices, no more offerings. It's, it's done. I'm, I'm going to sit down. The job is done. It's done. It says he sits down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who be sanctified. It's done once and for all. We live in the society where, we, again, we hear this. We think, but I still have to do more. Uh, I'm reminded of where I fall short, and I need to do more, right? I know it's done, but, but, but there's more I have to do. I've still messed up. Continue with me. Verse, verse 17 and 18. 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will remember their sins and losses no more. I, I don't remember them. It's done. It's gone. The price has been paid. In 18, it says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin. Where there is forgiveness of these, when Christ has come into our hearts, where Jesus has saved us, there is no longer any offerings for sin. 
So what happens is Jesus says, when I, when I come into your hearts, I'm no longer taking offerings. When I come into your heart, I, the sacrifices are done, the offerings, and I'm no longer taking them. This shop is shut down. It's over. It, it, it's over. You no longer have to bring any more sacrifices to the altar. It's over. And we go, well, what about my sin, right? I, I know you forgave me, but, but next week I messed up. And next week I fell short. I, I've done these things that no one else knows. I'm a terrible person. He goes, it's over. It, we bring them and lay them down and says, I messed up. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. And, and what we do is we try and clean ourselves up. We say, well, well I'm going to do this now. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get in this Bible study. I'm going to be around Christians. I'm going to listen to Joy FM. I'm going to do these things. And, and you know what? I'm not going to do this. That is heathen music. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to delete it off my iPad like it's done. I, I'm no longer going to go there. I, I'm done with these things. Maybe I can clean myself up. Maybe then God will be pleased with me. And Jesus sits back and says, it's already paid for. Uh, that's already paid for. Uh, that's, that's already paid for. I'm no longer accepting offerings. It's over. And we say, well, what about my, what about my this? You, you, I just struggled again. I'm, I'm like the worst person in the world. And he says, all time. All time. All time means all time. I'm not taking offerings. It's done. And yet so many of us keep dragging our offerings to the altar and say, God, be pleased with me. I'm going to do these things for you. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. I'm hoping this pleased with you. And we ask, what about my mess-ups? Jesus said, I, I paid for it. Yeah, yeah I know you, you already said that, but, but I, I feel like Jesus says, okay, listen. Look at me. It's paid for. It's paid for. It's like when you go to a restaurant and someone pays for your bill. You don't know where it comes from, but all of a sudden the, the waitress drops off and says, you don't owe anything. Somebody paid for it for you. It's done. You, you, you can't go back and, and pay it again. It's paid for. It's done. You don't owe anything. God says, there's nothing in you that's of value to me. Nothing. You have nothing I need, nothing you can offer me. I'm God in everything. Everything is mine. And your sin had to be punished. Because I'm just, the sin cannot go unpunished. So I paid it. So take your pettily good behavior and get it off my altar because this altar is covered with my blood, the blood of Christ that washes away the sins of man. He says, I'm no longer taking offerings. Grace pays the bill. 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We don't have to try and perform for God to like us. We don't have to try and make these continual religious offerings and do these things week after week, year after year, to say, God, I hope you please if I go do this or stop doing this. Uh, God, I know I messed up, but please, please like me. It says, done. No more. Grace pays the bill. And a lot of times we hear these say, yeah, but, but there's always a but on the grace. 
right? There's always this grace, but you have to do this. Uh, there's, there's God's grace, but, but you can't do this anymore. But once you do that, you add to the cross of Christ, and, and you say that Jesus' death on the cross was uh, not sufficient. When you say there's the cross of Christ, but anything more or anything less, you're saying that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient, that his sacrifice was not sufficient in itself. So it's not the cross and, and we don't do this, and it's not the cross and, and we do this, it's the cross and we, it's no. If you add anything to the cross of Christ, you're off. It's grace. So today, I want you to know that it's finished once and for all. That it's finished. And instead of being like the priest daily standing to try and make these offerings to please the Lord, to make up for where we fall short, Jesus sits down at the right hand of God and says, I invite you to sit with me. And he doesn't say sit and then do this. He says sit. And what I want you to do is just receive my grace. He says, sit, and I want you to receive. You know, one way we do this, we receive God's grace, is through communion. We remember through communion. And what it was is, is Jesus, when he was with his disciples for the last night before he'd be taken by the guards and eventually would lead to his death on the cross on very half. He was having supper with the disciples and he took the bread that they were eating and said, this bread is my body and it's broken for you. It's broken. So I want you to remember me and take and eat this in remembrance. And, and then he takes the wine and says, this wine, it represents my blood. My blood poured out for you. And I want you to drink it in remembrance of me. And what we do today is when we receive God's grace, we just remember what God's done, that his grace is sufficient, that we are made holy. And, and instead of today you walking in here and it's a day to pay your sins and there's an altar up here and you bring in your animals and we sacrifice the animals and there is blood everywhere on the stage. Like you don't expect that when you come into church, right? But there would be blood everywhere for your sins. And instead of that, remember the blood that was shed out on the cross to cover that altar and say, no more offerings, no more sacrifice. It is done and is finished once and for all. So we take communion and we remember that. Receive his grace. So if you're a Christian, I invite you to partake in that today in remembrance. Uh, but if you aren't a believer today, if you aren't a Christian, then I invite you to not partake in communion. Uh, because really, the, the bread, the, the crackers and the juice, they aren't anything special. They don't itself uh, take away your sin. What it is, we take it in remembrance. So if you don't believe, there's nothing to remember in it. And that's okay. Don't feel bad that, that people are getting up and you sit. But what I do invite you in is your time to reflect. How is your life going? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel trying to search for the thing that, that's going to bring you to freedom, 
Do you feel like you're continually trying to offer these things to God to, to please him because of where you've fallen short? And week after week after week, year after year after year, you feel like it's a dead end. Because honestly, it is a dead end. It gets you stuck in the religious system of trying to please God with your offerings and your sacrifices. What I invite you to reflect and know that ultimately Jesus is the only one who says, it's done. My blood was sufficient. That only Jesus brings that freedom. Uh, Ephesians 1 says that, that God the Father, he knew you before the foundations of the earth. Before he created earth, he knew you. He, he knew that you were going to rebel. You knew you were going to fall short. And that's why he sent his son. He knew you needed a way out. And his cross is the answer once and for all. And if you need to talk to someone about that, kind of more details or what's that mean, or you need someone to just pray with you. We have amazing people around this church and they're wearing a, a lanyard that says, how can I pray for you? And I encourage you just to seek one of them and, and talk with them, ask them. They just love people. And they want to know you. And ultimately, I just want to say, I'm thankful you're here. But I invite you to reflect. God, Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, that Jesus is the greater atonement. That we don't have one day a year that we come in and offer up these animals in a place of ourselves where we have fallen short, but your sacrifice, the spotless lamb on the cross, that that was the sacrifice once and for all. And what do you do? You don't say, it's the cross, and then now go do these things. He says, it's the cross, now sit. I invite you to just sit with me and receive my grace, because it's sufficient. It's enough. That you are enough. You don't have to try and perform to please me, because your, offer, your offerings and sacrifices I take no pleasure in. But I'm completely satisfied in the, in the sacrifice of my son in your place. And Lord, I invite your, your spirit to just be here today. As we sit and receive your grace and just remember what you have done on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.